I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Feel Good Friday, our weekly segment where we dive into the weird and wild news of the world of health. This week, songs for the deaf. Your voice is a mask. R.I.P. to medical debt. Psilocybin therapy is here. And Elden Ring telekinesis? Whoa. Woo! Let's go. I love it. I love it. It's Friday. The weekend's here. Fucking. It's time. It's time. You know, and we're going to be listening to Rich O'Quinn this weekend. That's right. Uh, that, we just heard him right there lead us into this episode, and he's going to be playing a show in Halifax on Saturday. And uh, Get your if, tickets if you haven't already. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Come. Uh, come to the show. And if you see us, for sure, maybe if you want, say hi. But not for too long. But leave because, it at that. You know, we might be weird. Don't get too <laughs> close to me because I'm a bit sweaty. Uh, yeah. there, I know there's someone listening to this right now. And, and I have a story that's very fun to tell. But also when I tell the story, um, the reactions that people give it is really extreme. Um, and I won't tell it on here because um, I don't want this person that's listening right now. And you know exactly who you are. Let's just, let's just bleep their um, name. Uh, no, I, I just well, like last week when we did that, <laughs> you know, and it worked really uh, well, but it has to do with like someone, someone meeting someone who listens to the podcast at a rich show. And it was, uh, it was, it's very, it's really funny. It's like a, that's a really, uh, we can talk about it after, but we don't have time for that. We got to get into, uh, what we have today because Brian has to go to therapy. So we got to get yeah. through this. It's therapy day here at uh, sick boy yeah. HQ. I had my therapy this morning. It was great. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Let's so probably going biking later. Let's uh, to kick things off to maybe make things maybe a run to make things feel good. I've got a video that is most certainly uh, the feel good variety. So uh, take take a look at this. <laughs> this little girl <laughs> just heard her voice for the very first time. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a trip. <laughs> so she's in, uh, what, I, what I gather is she's in like an ENT clinic. She gets uh, a set of like um, uh, hearing aids implanted. Maybe there, maybe there's like like some sort of internal surgical kind of process going on there. Um, and she they turn these things on and she hears her voice for the very first time. And her reaction is just like, bewilderment it's like whoa fuck are you here are you hearing this yeah you hear that like that came out of me you know and so i i've been thinking about this quite a bit uh recently it came up in conversation a couple times but i i had recently watched this ted talk that uh that kira sent me and it was fascinating um it's basically this uh this researcher who who has like dedicated her life to studying the voice and and the show uh, yes, the show, the ins and outs of the voice, <laughs> like how to get on the show, how to win the show. Um, what the judges are really looking for in the performance. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So she gives this, she gives us some, her name is Rebecca Kleinberger. She gives this fascinating Ted talk on, on the voice. And one of the elements that she gets into is why it feels weird for us to hear our own voices. Um, uh, when, when it's not us just speaking, like when we hear recordings of our voice, the reasons why, right, like when you're listening to your voice in headphones or hearing it played back. When you. were we just talking about this? We were. We, yeah. So, yeah. And we were talking with a guest and it kind of came up, I think, oh, right. pre, pre-recording. And, and I said, we were actually going to cover this on Be a Good Friday. Right, right, right. So we're here. So I, there's, uh, before I get into her sort of breakdown about the inner voice that we have, um, I just want to play a little clip from her TED Talk. She's she's a fascinating woman, pretty thick uh, French accent. So, so, um, so, but... Just check this out. This that is resulted a, from a head trauma. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, foreign accent. <laughs> She's actually Australian. Uh, her name is Rebecca Kleinberger. And if you want to look up her TED talk, I, I highly suggest it. And by listening to the voice, we can um, understand possible failures of what happens inside. For example, listening to very specific type of uh, turbulences and non-linearity of the voice can help predict very early stages of Parkinson just through a phone call. Listening to the breathiness of the voice can help detect heart disease. Um, and we also know that the changes of tempo inside individual words is a very good marker of depression. Wow. Your voice it. is also very linked with your hormone levels. Third parties listening to female voices were able to very accurately place the speaker on their menstrual cycle, just with acoustic information. And now, with technologies listening to us all the time, Amazon uh, Alexa from Amazon Echo might be able to predict if you're pregnant even before you know it. What? So think about it. <laughs> think about the ethical application of that. Um, Guys, pretty trippy, right? That, so, I mean, the the first thing that jumps out at me is like the privacy concerns around all of that. Like sure. just the fact that like mm-hmm. with technologies like that and the increased capabilities, yeah. is that like. <clears throat> I mean, there's there's going to be almost no privacy around that. If if something can hear you and predict those things, like whether you're depressed, whether you're pregnant, yep, like that is that sounds scary. Very, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in a dystopian kind of way, is a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of room for manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's is, impressive, which is, which is kind of interesting, but it's like also mildly yeah. concerning. But there's but there's also other aspects of that which are you know um, like utilizing this sort of ability or this technology to get ahead of things like depression or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, you know, what have you. Um, so, so needless to say, that's not where I wanted to go with this. I just wanted to show you a little snippet of this woman's Ted talk because it's, it's just chock full of that kind of shit. Fascinating stuff. But she ends up getting into this idea of the sound of her voice, our inner voice, our outer voice, and how we sort of, um, how we sort of relate to our voice, which I just think is really, really interesting. So uh, here's sort of like a distilled kind of breakdown of what she gets into. So why is it that the inner voice remains a mystery to us? Uh, Why does it often elude our conscious awareness? Let's delve into the intricacies of this internal dialogue. Picture this. When you wear a mask, it's not the mask itself that captures your attention. Instead, your focus is drawn to what lies within which is the realm of your inner voice. So to comprehend, uh, to comprehend the distinction, let's explore how the mechanisms of a perception of perception shapes 
this inward voice. Wait, so, but, I, I don't really get that analogy. So, yeah, like, so, if you're wearing a mask, then and you can't see the person's face, then you have to fo- you focus more on like their voice, their personality, is up the 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 lion's share of information that specifically. So it's not an not, analogy. It's not, like not specifically not talking no, about the voice. No, no, it is an analogy. So, right. so if you, so you relate to your your voice the way that you relate to a mask. If you take a mask and you put a mask on. And let's say you never looked at the front of the mask. You have no idea what this mask looks like at all. You are just familiar with the inside of this mask and what, you, what you're seeing. If you took the mask off and you turned it around, that is the side of the mask that everybody on the outward sees, der- derives information from, is familiar with. But you are so unfamiliar with it because you don't see the mask. Right. Same with your voice. The outside voice, the outward voice is what everybody else hears and perceives and takes in. Your inside voice is only what you can perceive because you actually have zero capability of hearing your outward voice. To that point, guys, think about how crazy it was before there were mirrors. Like people just really didn't know what the fuck they looked like. Well, there's uh, water. I know, you, but you like that's not. But, yeah, but sure. even so, that's not a not in, great representation. Not in of, detail, I mean, but it's 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 similar to watching TV from the '90s to watching TV today. I'd say even worse. Like, yeah, I'd say the TV from like the '50s. Well, there are. I mean, there's there's like there's um, well, there's, there's color in in reflections. So yeah, it's better yeah than the 50s. but but it, but it, but you you do have a point there, Bri, in that um, you know, like when 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 Westerners uh, sort of sort of intervene in in tribes that have been uncontacted for centuries and they show say like a, a reflection of a of a, a mirror or a photo there's the 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 reaction to that type of thing is like oh my holy fuck that's that there's some sort of magic here there's some sort of like you've captured my soul right which but is very beca- different from because, like, but not because they're unfamiliar with a reflection of themselves but because the clarity of it is so the, fucking mind the clarity blowing. Yeah. and yeah. that now that yeah. reflection is not residing in the water that they're familiar with but it's on this panel yes. this magic panel right. that now you're showing me right exactly i mean but think about it. even if you could look in in the water and see your reflection i mean you have to have like a flat body of water that you can go to and mm-hmm. look into that and yeah, see yeah. it and so so like the I mean think it's of unaccessible. think of the difference in like how often we look at ourselves today now with mirrors and things like, like dozens like of times a day maybe. how much that sort of changes the way that you sort of think of yourself too depends imagine, on who you are there's there's some people there's some people at the gym. it's so funny going to the gym and watching like the way that it is you know, weird. Gym, the gym is just a big mirror and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. like wa- seeing the way that people relate to seeing themselves in the mirror I mean we know this from like teaching yoga mm-hmm. in, in studios that have mirrors but like. It's so fascinating to watch people's relationship to looking at themselves. Um, it's funny because mirrors in a lot of ways like bring out this sort of, I don't want to say that they're bad or that they're negative, but like it does. They amplify. They, they, I think they're neutral to positivity and they're pretty amplifying. They're, they amplify negativity. Yeah. Oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting, Jerry, like being in the gym and watching people like, Sort of give off a little pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially like the, especially the fucking like kids that come in there with their like permed, yeah. permed haircuts and. Yeah. But with your voice, it's very interesting because you do have this. Uh, I wouldn't. I was about to say most people, but I'm sure there's a gigantic swath of people who like have never recorded their voice or heard their voice heard back to them, or or at least not often. But I, I think many people are familiar with the 
rare occasion where they do get to hear their voice played back to them. And they, a lot of people have a very visceral reaction Absolutely. to that. Well, so, so here's the thing. We, we forget that because we do it as we day. speak right now, there are monitors in our ears where like I'm hearing myself speak right now. So we're, you know, we've gotten used to it by virtue of our job. Um, but I, I almost guarantee you the first time you ever heard your voice, you would have had a reaction just like that. Yeah, yeah. I can still, I can still remember it. I mean, yeah. it was still very fresh when we started doing this. Sure, even sure. though up until that point, I'd probably heard it a hundred times. So here are, here's the, the body employs a ton of different filters, which, which process the inner voice differently from the outward voice. Like Snapchat. Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, as the inner voice embarks on its journey, so you, your inward voice, it first traverses through your bones, a phenomenon known as bone conduction. So like there's, uh, there's new headphones you can get these days that use bone conduction. You don't even put them in your ears, you wear them on your temple, and you can hear the sound through your temple bones, through the bones. Guys, the world is crazy. <laughs> so unlike the outward voice, which travels through the air, this inward counterpart resonates at a lower register imbued with a more harmonious musicality. So when you hear your voice outside, the, when you hear the outward source of your voice, typically it sounds worse. It sounds high pitch. Yeah. It sounds uh, tinny. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, I, I sound like such a beta cut. You, know, <laughs> yeah, like, you yeah, have yeah, this yeah. thought of like, that's my wimpy little voice. Yeah, yeah. I, thought I, I thought I sounded like, like a booming <laughs> man. A scary booming man. <laughs> It is so interesting. But really, I sound like Ira Glass. What's really, dude, what's really, what's really funny. What's wrong with Ira Glass? Nothing's wrong with Ira Glass. What's really funny is that. Who wants to sound like Ira Glass? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's very unique. I want to sound like John Cena. It's funny because. I take offense to that because on the spectrum of one of us that are more, more closely sounding like Ira Glass. I know that I'm closest. You're closest to Ira Glass. But it's interesting. It's interesting in the way that because I hear my voice in this context all the time. And then, um, uh, shameless plug, where we just we produced a new series. It's called New Wave. You can look it up and find it now. It's really interesting. Um, but I host that series, and and I speak differently in that. Like I'm speaking in a much more focused way. I'm I performative. Am, it's, I'm, a perf- it's, it's a, a performance. it's a more performative. Yeah. It's a more performative way of speaking. And when I record, because I might record one episode and record my voice for that episode on different days, like oh, pieces yeah, of yeah. it on different days. Yeah. And I don't think an audience member is probably paying much attention or noticing that there's a change in the voice, but you can pick up these like subtle, subtle uh, changes absolutely, in your totally. voice. I mean, if especially you, especially when it's coming from the outside, if you, if you right now pause this episode of feel good Friday and you went back to the very first feel good Friday episode and listened to our voices, sound. Man, you'll be able to tell it's us, but it sounds very different. When we do speaking engagements and we play clips from like the first totally. year or two yeah, of yeah. the podcast, our voices are so different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Puberty. Uh, right. So, so, so that's, so that's the, that's the sound reaching your reaching you right now upon reaching the ears, the inner voice encounters another layer of filtration. A mechanical partition shields the inner ear during vocalization diminishing what what reaches your auditory senses no adding to this complexity is a biological filter within the cochlea where living cells respond differently based on their familiarity with the sound leading to a habituation effect okay but the journey doesn't end there there's a neurological filter and this is what i was talking about in the conversation that we had before this in a previous conversation your brain's doing eq remarkably 
your brain's adding basically like a full on noise gate. So yeah. remarkably, neuro neurologists have discovered that when you produce a sound with your voice, your own auditory cortex temporarily shuts down. So while you hear your voice, your brain actively does not process that sound. So that and, you don't listen to yourself? Yes. It's a phenomenon termed uh, corollary discharge. Uh, evolutionarily, this makes sense. Our brains, aware of the expected sound, conserve energy by not scrutinizing the familiar signal. Do you think when, like, wow. do you think that our we have developed over time the ability to turn off ourselves talking even with monitors in as like podcast hosts? So like listening to it, the way that our brain does that, that you just described, like that noise gate that that cuts out your voice when you're talking. Do you think that that over time of hearing yourself in your ears while recording a podcast, that it develops the ability to cancel out that as well? Because I don't really think of myself hearing my voice when I'm talking right now in the same way that I did, you know, in the beginning of doing well, the show. I wonder if there's a correlation between something like self-consciousness or anxiety and the brain's ability to stop to 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 turn that part of the brain off like if you were to if you had less if your brain was less capable maybe on somewhere on a spectrum to be able to shut that part of the brain off while you're speaking then you are i would imagine and maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm interpreting what this what the what this function of the brain is doing but i'm i'm hearing it as if you don't turn that off or it, if it didn't turn off or didn't turn off as well then you would be more analytical of everything that you're saying because you are listening to what you're saying rather than just allowing yourself to say it. But do you even have the ability to do that? That's the question, right? Like, do you even have the, you, you have the, the ability to cognitively think and process that, but do you actually have the, 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 the capability of not turning off that part of your brain? Right. So like the, 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 the corollary discharge isn't just something that happens with our voice, right? It, it serves as a, 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 as a copy of a motor command sent by the brain informing other brain regions about an impending motion. So this is like, this is even like hand movement. It's like when you pick up a pen and you fiddle with a pencil. So like if you're talking you're not, like this, you're not, there's not a single element of your brain that is thinking about the process of what you're doing with your hand. Mm -hmm. It's the same with your voice. It's the same thing. It's like mm -hmm. me manipulating this and like spinning it around mm -hmm. There's no thought to these movements. I it's like my hands have their own their own movement, their own yeah, sort of just, like autonomous existence. You've like compartmentalized that function yeah. so that you can actually perform multiple functions. I think to at the same me time. exactly. I think exactly. to me though, yeah. like Taylor to your point, which is thing, just trippy to think it's just like you know, what are the implications of that? What does that mean? What does that mean for different Well, but, sorry, yeah. I mean it's it's not like for me it's not thinking actively about what I'm saying that then like causes me to sort of critique or judge myself and then become anxious about that. It's more this other voice that exists at the same time in my head. That is like my inner monologue. That is all the things that I'm not saying at that moment that I'm listening to that would then lead me to feel anxious. Like the actual words coming out of my mouth aren't the things that yeah. I'm worried about. It's like that like inner critic. That's like, well, why the fuck did yeah. you know? right. But that, so, critic, so, but that inner critic is is louder when you're paying more like or can be I guess more louder when you're paying more attention to what that is. So one right. of the one of the things she she starts to kind of speak about this in the talk and basically in the context of the voice this corollary discharge assumes a distinct identity which is the inner voice 
So to summarize, we have a mask representing the outward voice, the inner workings of the mask symbolizing the inward voice, and then finally, the inner voice itself, the puppeteer orchestrating the entire system. Think of the inner voice as the constant companion in your silent readings, the persistent narrator during important conversations, and the melody that lingers stubbornly in your mind. It's the voice that refuses to be silenced, often persisting even when unwanted. For some, controlling this inner voice is a challenge, as seen with individuals with conditions such as schizophrenia, where distinguishing between internal and external voices becomes blurred. It's the, it's the voice that dictates your dreams. It's the voice that sings the fucking Creed song that you just can't get out of your head. It's this like, it is almost its own Again, it's like, it's the hands. It's like this autonomous thing that you, you really, you really only exert a certain amount of control over, which is, which is fucking, I feel, I feel like, I love it. I really identify with the inner voice because I feel like that is my thought of like what ADHD is to me. Totally. It's just like, yeah. it's this like fast paced, fast moving, fast thinking inner voice that's happening in my head of like, do this thing, do this thing, think about that thing. You got to like solve this problem. Think about that problem. Do these things like, oh, you forgot that you had to do that thing. Don't do that thing before you do this thing. It's just like constantly going and also very loud. Mm. And to me, that is like, that is what my experience of ADHD is like, is like yeah. the volume turned way up. And that one day that I uh, took like a small dosage of Adderall, mm -hmm. I felt and like whether it was placebo or not or whatever it, it was, like I felt the volume of that voice turned right. down for right for a bit, which is which is really like I mean again this this whole this whole thing started as a sort of investigation into why it's so weird for us to hear our voice, and it led me to this place of like whoa fuck, how fascinating that I've never really thought about my inward voice as this thing that that seems to have like quite a, quite a distinct um, effect on my day-to-day -day life. And I'm starting to recognize that this voice, this inward voice is almost like somehow separate from me or what I am, which is like, I think when you start to go to therapy and you start to unpack the way that you view the world and the way that you think about things or the, the challenges that arise in your life, you start to make very similar sort of um, connections to that, which you go, wow, fuck. Like there's, a, there's part, a difference. There, yeah. There's a part of me that understands these things that, that my therapist is telling me. Um, but, but like, I'm, I'm just starting to realize now that it's like, wow, I, I, maybe I don't have, um, there's a part of the way, there's a, there's a way that I go about the world that I'm, I'm not even noticing how little control I have over it. So, so until you start to so to to, it, to right? that point um and 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 also to some degree to what you were saying about the volume of that voice um i think mostly to what you're saying there jared is like do you then is it then a pursuit of unifying those two voices and and making them as much as they can be one and the same yeah i i mean even to like i know you said less to the degree of what i was saying but i think that's totally like my feeling in in like going to therapy or thinking about taking medication is that i actually i like some aspects of the loud volume fast pace of the inner voice 
but I know that there's some things that are good about it that I need to turn down or dial back a little bit, but there's also some things that can benefit from this like quieter odor voice that's trying to like find some middle ground between the two. And I think for me, I like thinking of that as being the goal of finding that middle ground is probably a pretty healthy way for me to think about it. I don't know. Do you, do you feel like, like going to therapy, Jared, do you feel like you're trying to unite that inner voice and outer voice? Or are you trying to like silence the inner voice? No, I, th- I think that, I think there's like, there's elements of, of, of trying to unite the two, you know, it's like, and again, it's, it's you, it's, it's, it's just like another form of mindfulness. It's just, it's not just being mindful, mindful of your surroundings or mindful of your, your, you know, your physical body. It's like being also being mindful of the way that you relate to that, mm-hmm. that inner voice that it's like, I, you know, almost, I, I almost sort of like, in order to conceptualize or make it, make it sort of work in a, in a, in a framework that's easier to digest. It's like almost, almost seeing it as a different you. It's like, there's you and there's me. And then there's the, the inner me, which, which. Yeah. I think is detached somehow. I think a lot of people, most people, you know, relate to that. The reason I asked that, the reason I asked that question and you guys will make a joke about me in the, in this, I'm sure. But like, I ask that question because I, I, I feel personally like those two things are very unified in me now, but I very much remember as like a teenager that they were not mm-hmm. <clears throat> like very much so not, and probably not in the moment. Cause this was kind of my whole kind of like adolescent experience. I wasn't really aware of what that experience was until it was no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really only in hindsight that I recognized that like as a, uh, as a, as a, um, as like a young adult, um, but I can, I very much identify with that idea that there's two voices and they are very separate mm-hmm. people. Um, and I'm living kind of like, I'm like living two lives in a way via those two voices and how I yeah. think and how I show up in the world. Like Ted Bundy did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I feel, I, I sort of disagree with the idea and not, not disagree. Um, I, I feel like I try hard to recognize the fact that even though those two voices are very different, it's both me, you know, like I I think that that is, it's helpful for me to think of it that way in the sense that the goal is (coughs) unifying as you sort of highlighted. And so if I think of them as two separate people, it feels harder to bring them together. Right. If I think of them as both me and different strengths and different situations, um, then it feels easier to find that. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the possibility, though, that they're both not you? It's high. What if? What if? <laughs> what if? What if? What if the inner voice is not you at all? And we're just and and somebody is controlling me via remote viewing, dude. Maybe, I've been getting not, so. Maybe, maybe, I've been getting <laughs> a lot of remote viewing TikToks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think recently. if you just go back to like, if you, I mean, we we talked about this recently. I can't remember where, but like, I mean, we've talked about this several times. Is like. Um, you know, like classic and sort of um, base level um, yoga and Hindu philosophy is like you are, you have a self that's like pure mm-hmm. and like over time and as you build social connections and social structures, they like layer things on top of you that sort of gradually obscure sometimes in good ways and sometimes in bad ways, the like you-ness. And then, mm. and then, you know, if you, 
and where mindful comes mindfulness comes into play is that like if mindfulness is not something that is built into you naturally or it's not something that you practice which is like 99% of everybody um then we run the risk of of becoming not you like mm-hmm. you run the risk of becoming not you well it's i mean there's so many different ways to th- there's like the like becoming the buddha and buddha buddhist philosophy they're like coming like to a more modern scientific approach in psychology, it's about emotional regulation. It's like when you're emotionally mm-hmm. dysregulated, mm-hmm. you do things that might be not aligned with yeah. the way that you really want to present or carry yourself through the world. Um, so like, you know, emotional regulation is probably the first step in like getting to that place where you're able to make those decisions that are more aligned with like who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. I think like for me, that's the, that's the benefits that I've seen in, in therapy is like understanding when I'm reacting to a situation emotionally and ident- being able to identify that and manage that response, not in real time, but in a way that I don't go and take that exp- a, a negative experience and like dwell on it for, yeah, yeah. for days. <clears throat> Which is an example of you taking back the control of you from <laughs> the you that's not you that's controlling you yeah and could so, could so there is a way where we aliens. can tie this to aliens and here's how um they are that's how they're controlling us you know they want a negative they, they feed off our negativity and they're trying to can they're trying to squash our consciousness and uh, there's a big pyramid buried under alaska uh that 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 pyramid actually is suppressing our consciousness and so anyway whatever we don't Did have to get into hear that. about the remote viewing um the 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 um the soldiers that are being trained in antarctica oh my god have i ever uh uh let's move on uh because <laughs> jair's hook line and yeah no no there. no uh uh we're, we're, the world's not ready for it bry Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Um, this is uh, this is fascinating, Taylor. You put this in my orbit. RIP Medical Debt. Uh, this is an organization out of the U.S. Uh, that was founded in 2014 uh, by two former debt collections executives. And over the course of decades in the debt buying industry, they're repenting. They <laughs> yeah. they met with thousands of Americans saddled with unpaid and unpayable medical debt and realized that they were uniquely qualified to help those in need. They imagined a new way to relieve medical debt by using donations to buy large bundles of debt that is erased with no tax consequences to donors or recipients. And so from that idea, RIP Medical Debt was born. It's a New York-based 501c3, uh, and the results have been pretty miraculous. Billions in medical debt has been eradicated so far. Um, Just recently... A woman named Casey McIntyre, 38-year-old book publisher and mother of one, 
um, helped wipe out more than $30 million in unpaid medical bills for other people without even being alive to see it. How does, how does that work? So, so her husband, uh, think of it almost like a Kickstarter account. This woman dies. Her husband posts a message on her behalf after she died of ovarian cancer asking people to participate in a debt jubilee that pays off medical bills of others. The response has been overwhelming. As of Sunday, the nonprofit RIP Medical Debt has received more than 300,000 donations, $300,000 in donations through McIntyre's campaign. Like, so through her version of so RIP they get Medical like, Debt. So uh, like tax deductible receipts for making a donation and the donation the re- the, the organization relieves $10,000 of medical debt for every $100 donated. Now... I that, was that, was th- do- that was $300,000 last like, Sunday. Today, as, bef- like, as I prep this, today, they're at 609802 Just McIntyre's campaign. Yeah, so that will be $60 million. So, um, so there's, some, there's something going on here where... Which I don't understand debt buying or like... That, that's a, there's something here where, where basically like, let's say you owe $1,000. Um, like, I mean, you know collections. Like, so you've had, got a collections sure. call in your life. You know, you, you owe... You know, you owe two hundred dollars to Rogers, and then you switch to Bell, and yeah. fucking you never pay Rogers, whatever. So some, so somebody comes along and they buy your debt from Rod, your two hundred dollar debt. Oh, I see. Oh, I for, see. For like, for like fifty bucks, yeah. From from Rogers, because yeah. Rogers just goes, let's just make twenty five percent of our debt back. Now the debt collector now owns that debt. They paid fifty bucks for it, and, they and come the debt knocking. collector tries to make a yeah. hundred and fifty dollar profit on their fifty dollar purchase on your. That's debt. right by breaking your knees. Yes. Putting, so there's so there's something horses. in that how that relationship yeah. works. Yeah, right where, right. where now the debt is act someone bought the debt and now the debt is actually if you just nil from the person who bought it, like yeah. if you just equalized from the person who bought it, the debt is now worth much less. So the total debt is sixty million, but what it's actually gonna cost to wipe it out is six hundred thousand. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy just to begin with. Yeah. So you make a donation. RIP buys medical debt at a steep discount in bundles, uh, which means that the donation that you made relieves about 100x its value in medical debt. Does that help the person who like didn't pay their bills? What relieves them of the it it relieves them of it relieves them of the debt. Because because now the debt collection. So so once you once somebody once a debt collector buys your debt then the deck, the person who owes the debt is still on the hook. Mm-hmm. But now they're just on the hook to the debt collector. Mm-hmm. But if the debt collector is working on your behalf to get you off the hook and they buy your debt, now you're good. Near, you, nearly, think of it like a... Think of it like a yeah. like but a, your, your credit is still negatively affected because it went into collections and the debt wasn't paid for a certain amount of time. Well, no, because they're, it, would, it would have, but... They, they, get, not, they get ahead of it. Yeah, they they, they, may, they ensure that this do, that doesn't happen, yeah. right? So, so, so like instead of it going to collections it goes to rip medical yeah. debt right who They're is a, like a, a quasi collector that's right, that's right. they're just not, not collecting yeah yeah right yeah they're, they're the non-collecting collector right uh nearly seven in ten u.s adults say they receive medical bills that they cannot afford many are forced to delay the uh, paying the bill that's put it on crazy. a credit card or challenge the bill six in ten patients report they have self-treated delayed or skipped dental or medical appointments 34% report cha- uh, changing the foods they eat or eating less food to afford healthcare. Uh, nearly half feel trapped and believe they were never they will never be able to pay off their debt, while a third of respondents reported feeling heightened depression and anxiety. I mean, we talked 
the episode hasn't come out yet, but we talked about like the the inter, the intersections between money and mental health, and uh, and that episode's coming out soon with Jessica Morehouse. Really excited for that episode. Um, nearly nine in ten blame the healthcare industry for fueling the medical debt crisis, not patients themselves. And they say that the problem stems from a system putting profit over patients. So, um, so that's where RIP medical debt's coming in. Which I mean, it's it's just it's fascinating. It's a fascinating little sort of loophole. Uh, that these these two people kind of started, and I mean, like theoretically, they could theoretically. This is a crazy loophole. Theoretically, Americans as a whole could come together. I, that's the thing, and go. Would, we can would, all do. Would this. we all yeah. like to pay a yeah. hundred times less yeah. for our medical care? Yeah, because we can. Through this, through this <laughs> that's, company, that's right. Like if if you had if you had if you had fifty percent of of the population of America basically pay into this, a nominal amount, it might wipe medical debt. Across Man, it's the like, board. like it's that's like a wild. That's a wild thought. It's like there would almost be a better system where like healthcare could virtually be free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wouldn't that be fucking crazy? Yeah. See, you know what? Now, now, now I'm not saying I'm not saying I I'm not saying that I want America to stay the way that it is, but I I was really struck, and I think I mentioned this on one episode of the show already, maybe a few weeks ago, is when we spoke with Alex Dumphy again for as part of our new wave series. Um, oh, really? Um, away, eh? He know. mentioned something because because they because he is the CEO of a company called Adaptive, and Adaptive um, creates. Um, these things called immobilizers and boluses that people use that people have to have made for them when they do radiation treatment. And, uh, and typically the way that that is done, this is kind of like the, the Coles notes of the episode. The way that that's done is that people come in, everything is high tech in the radiation therapy world. And then all of a sudden when the patient comes in is about to get this high tech treatment and high tech machines and all this stuff, somebody comes in and does like arts and crafts time to make this thing that they have to wear on their face in order to get like the proper treatment. So it's like a mask that's yeah, being paper made. mache mesh mask. And so what adaptive does is they take that and they digitize it and it's 3d, it's 3d printed and the 3d printing is based on all the scans that you would have have to, that you would have had received already as a part of like your general cancer treatment and preparation for treatment. So they make this anyway, Peter or um, um, Alex was saying that the, the role that the U S plays in getting new technology to the world, medical technology to the world is like pivotal. And the only reason that it plays that pivotal role is because of the for-profit system that exists. So basically this, like, not that it's not that this is a reason to just like keep it the way that it is and keep the status quo, but that there is this like incredible silver lining, which comes at the expense of millions and millions of people, which is not okay. But the silver lining to that shitty situation is that this is that the U.S. is where medical technology, new medical technology goes to thrive so that the rest of the world can then benefit. Do from you it, think which I thought which I just went, oh, wow, that's yeah. an angle. Never thought of it. I asked Alex about this after and he basically and because I, I, I basically asked if the U.S. system all of a sudden became public, um, would like what would happen to innovation like these companies like what? like what would happen to them? Where would they go? And he's like, well, they would just go to another country where that's more favorable. Yeah. Uh, there's more favorable outcomes for them. I wonder how true that is in the sense that 
you know, there's a lot of companies that choose to operate in North America, not just, I mean, we just had a, a guy in here who really enjoys living in Halifax. And so that's part of it. And they, and maybe it's more attractive to financially start your company in some other country in the world. But there's a lot of people who enjoy living yeah. in I mean, there, North America. There, there's and, other, there's other ways to do everything. Yeah. I, I think that that like, I, I understand the situation I think, but, but I feel like there are more creative ways to, yeah maintain that sort of sense. I'm sure of, there I'm sure there is. I, and yeah. and I was just saying that as like a, that incentive. As like yeah. it's very easy to like only shit totally. on that system yeah, yeah, totally. and it by all means let's shit on it because I think I would I think I think on the limit I would I would I would rather see millions of people not be uh crippled by debt for their entire lives and marginally slow down Medical innovation. I have take. thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt. Um. When they call, I tell them I can't pay it back yet. Credit card debt. So uh, let's uh, let's move on before we wrap here uh, for this week's edition of. This is wild. You guys uh, familiar with Twitch? Yes. Familiar. Yeah. So uh, video gaming. Very big on Twitch. Former CEO. Is that where we're going? No. Gonna... No. Uh, <laughs> Amateur. Uh, no, I don't want to talk about CEOs. I want to talk about... I want to, I want to talk about... Uh... The Elden Ring. Oh. Oh. Elden Ring. Oh, God. Oh, Elden Ring. You know, I want to talk about you know, Elden Ring. I was going to play Elden Ring until you discouraged me. Yeah, I don't think you'd like it. Uh, it's, it's too hard. Um, so, uh, Elden Ring, uh, if you're not familiar, is a video game that is extraordinarily difficult, uh, but it is, it's hailed as one of the best video games of, you know, the last like decade. Um, and, uh, but the, but the key part there is that it is extremely difficult. Um, the game sort of encourages players to switch up the way that they play at every single junction of the game. Uh, there is a streamer, a very, very, um, very cute streamer, uh, Perry Car- Perry Carriol, Perry Carriol, uh, a streamer known for her unique challenges. She made headlines uh, f- uh, last month for attempting a groundbreaking feat, playing Elden Ring, using just the power of her mind. With no controllers or any No controllers so or anything at all. This thing, remote viewing that we've been talking about, she basically remote viewed into the game itself. Basically. And controlled it. Yeah, so uh, this ambitious endeavor was born from Perry's desire to undertake the most challenging task she could imagine. Her journey began in the Minecraft world, another video game that's um, not nearly as hard as Elden Ring, <laughs> uh, where the, the idea first gen- uh, germinated and eventually transitioned to the daunting boss arenas of Elden Ring's the lands between. I don't know. Killing the Ender Dragon is pretty <laughs> difficult. When clips of Perry's Twitch stream went viral, the community found uh, the community around From Software's games, known for finding innovative ways to play, played a pivotal role in motivating her to push the boundaries of what her mind control technology could achieve. Perry's academic background is in psychology. She holds a master's degree, providing the foundation for her experimentation with the with with hardware. Uh, the consumer grade. EEG machine that she uses cost her about a thousand pounds, which was perfect purchased with profits from her stream. So she uses an EEG headset, consumer grade, consumer grade, thousand programs pounds. it 
in order to play Elden Ring and does it successfully. Here's a video of that, her that is basically crazy. showing off what she's capable of. I've gotten a lot of stuff uh, online being like, oh no, that's Cap, oh, are you for real, etc. <laughs> so as a final demonstration, no controller. On God. Even. On God. Well, we need a little bit more. We need we need a wider view here to. She she I, there's there's, there's multiple documentaries online that show exactly the process that she uses. Uh, like this isn't like a. There's a guy sitting is, off camera with a controller. <laughs> <laughs> now watch her it. watch that's her use it. it. It's really <laughs> fun to watch her like. Heal. Attack. And again. Huh. What's the lag time? I mean, it's, it's, it must be. It's uh, milliseconds. You can tell. But, but so I'll go into it a little bit more. But. So those are okay. not voice commands. So, so that's Every crazy that she, she attack, even did that. But, but uh, the, right the, the fascinating the part is that through the EEG, um, which has a key bind to her, her attack. Her yeah. ability to do certain things involve intensive training for the EEG machine to identify the brain activity patterns corresponding with the desired action. So mm -hmm. for her to attack like that, it has nothing to do with her saying the word attack. She literally has, mm. she literally has trained the EEG machine to basically press like the F key on her keyboard. Whenever she has the thought of moving a heavy object forward. Although her attack, her saying attack is reinforcing. Her the, saying attack is just like. Is reinforcing like, the brain pattern. Sure. I mean, the way she put it was like, I was just basically using the word to like say. Uh, to like. To like actively to, think about it. Not even. To, okay. to actively tell the person that's watching. This is what I'm. Here's the okay. process I'm going yeah. through. Attack. I'm going to start thinking about the thing. Okay, there it is. And then like, you know, heal. I'm going to think about whatever it is that she thought about to heal. Like drinking a, a glass of water or something. Um. The thing is still a, a work in progress. Um, while attacking is successfully mapped to her mental movements, other actions like movement and item usage uh, sometimes remain tethered to traditional controller. Perry acknowledges the occasional unreliability of the system, necessitating continuous fine-tuning. Despite the challenges, Perry's experimentation has garnered significant attention. But before ga beyond gaming, Perry sees this potential of EEG technology in various applications particularly in enhancing accessibility for individuals with disabilities. Yeah. Her use of the EEG headset is not just about content creation. It's a means to raise awareness about the capabilities of brain-related technologies and destigmatize discussions around mental health. I want to buy one of those and uh, start playing around with that. We should build something here. To Man, it would be incredible if you could... I mean, just, again, this that would be... Because it is already, from the accessibility thing... That's one thing, um, but just but just in just in in its broadest sense, it's already fascinating that you are doing that in your mind yes. while you're looking at a screen, yeah. and your fingers are translating those thoughts. Oh, totally via button yeah. combinations. I mean, like, it, that's already it, crazy. It, it becomes super fascinating when you sit down, like when I, as a as an avid gamer, thirty five years of life video gaming, basically for thirty of those years, and I sit down with Kira, who has. Next to no history of gaming. Looking at the controller all the time. And, like. and watching her try to process the 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 like the ability to move a character in 3D space. I want to do and, this and thing. turn their head and how do I do it's, that? <laughs> it's like a it's like her trying to learn Russian. It probably and looks like a full body experience too. There's probably like a lot of movement yeah, happening. Yeah. Whereas like with us, 
It's, it's just second like controller in your hand, yeah. sitting in a comfortable position. It's all happening at your. At it's your literally digits. no different than breathing. You know, it's it's just this. It's it. I mean, it goes back to the voice, the voicing, the hand thing. It's like you don't think about it. It's your your brain has turned off that part that is anticipating or thinking about the action. Your brain turns it off because you don't actually need to put. It's really but to be able to turn that into like just sitting there and going, "Fuck yeah!" Dude, do you know what's crazy this, though? That. Is it's it, crazy. It is interesting though to understand that like that like video game literacy, like the underlying sort of thoughts that go into making a controller move um, in the sense that like I recently switched from uh, using a controller to mouse and keyboard. Yes. And even like being video game literate and switching over. And like sometimes I download like a new first person shooter. And even though the controls might be slightly different, you can just like blindly press a key, assuming it might do something and nine times out of ten, it, it does. does. Yeah, it's so wild yeah. to like think well, I mean, about how. I, yeah, I mean your that, brain that, tracks that. That boils down to to like like the 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 science behind um, like user interface and and totally, video games, yeah. right? So it's yeah. like if you it's good design. if you ever if you ever if you ever took a video game and you put it in, into someone's life and they picked up the controller, but you switch the button mapping around, so like you know, the action button is, is actually clicking in the, the right stick and the, the, like, the, the secondary action button is like pressing down on the D-pad. Ew. I mean, yeah, you, you, like the person, any, any, any avid gamer would be like, what the fuck is this? I have no idea how to do anything in this thing. And none of this makes any sense. Well, because there's a science behind the, the like, whether it's natural or like an innate sort of, instinctual where these things should be or it's like we've become so accustomed to certain actions being tied to certain buttons or certain placements on a controller or on a you know on a on a on a surface for your hands you know it's interesting though in a, in a sense it does inhibit innovation too because people are so set in the way that right. they do things that they aren't willing to experiment <laughs> with, with new design so for right, example, so like a, I went like a I went in a disability I'd, controller or something like a, a controller like a, an a accessibility controller yeah. For PlayStation, it's like they had to rewrite the whole fucking script. Well, so this was really interesting with... I went into a deep dive of uh, keyboards. So when I was buying my keyboard for my my uh, PC setup, I I went like in a, in a deep, deep, deep dive on different types of keyboards and styles. And there's like... There, there are um, designers who have made like minimalist design style keyboards that have like only two or three rows that are mapped to different commands so you have to like learn different i love i love the sound of that um like learn different sort of hotkeys to like switch between different character mapping and stuff but one of the coolest designs that i saw um is this thing called the caracorder which um they equate to like like strumming chords like you do on a guitar and each chord maps to a different sort of combination of letters that will spell out a word so you can like essentially <laughs> turn that. Turn are you, that are off you getting there. a boner? <laughs> the yeah. fuck? So what you can do with, with the caracorder is really interesting because you can just basically like sort of like play the piano to spell words, and it's incredibly fast at typing because the chords map to like full words rather mm. than individual keys, and um, the but but nobody will adopt that new design. It's like. There's way too much of a Oh, I've curve. seen this. This is that fucking... Uh, actually, like, Lex Friedman has one like right on his desk. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. like this weird sort of like two boobs. 
with buttons on them. I it's, just thought I thought that it was just he an just odd has. Shaped, I think uh, he just has a has a keyboard that looks sort of similar. Um, oh, okay, but the the caricorder you're like playing combination. I mean, I feel like a caricorder is sort of what like what uh, maybe this is different, but like what courtroom um, uh, stenographers use. Like it's it's sort of a similar sort of thing where it's like. Are they not using uh, typewriters? No, no, no. They're using like they, they like traditional typewriters. Not, not typewriters, but you know, <laughs> no, no. Whatever. They, they like keyboards. they basically QWERTY, QWERTY write keyboards. in shorthand. So like, oh, interesting. Yeah, and and the keyboard setup's all different, and it's like it's a it's a it's like, a complete like co- like codes for full like short codes for full words or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's that. That's um, that makes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Macros, yeah, it's so interesting yeah. when you get a lot of macros. It, it made me think of like uh, of um, what you were saying earlier, Jer, about when you like how interesting it is in the, for the first, probably just like the first day that you start playing a new game. Yeah. Or if you're switching between games. Or switching between genres. Yeah. You and know? you're like, you're like, or, you, or if you've played a type of game where you play, you've been yeah. solely playing one game for whatever, like maybe two months. And then you switch to a new game and it's just like a different, it's just like a different combat layout or whatever. And like, you just find, you just, you feel the like, the latency in your fingers. Yeah. You feel the delay in your brain telling your finger what to do. Right. But and most like the next day it's gone. And it's, and now it's imagine good. just doing that with your brain. I mean, like I know exactly, but most games have, yeah. um, have like really good design in the sense that like the tutorials are walk, like, um, the training sort of initial design of the game is totally. meant to like ease you into the complexities of, I, I assume I haven't played Baldur's gate three, but, but I assume that like, you're not starting out with a full, um, arsenal of like different types of attacks and stuff. You oh yeah, you build you, it up. Yeah, you and, build. Yeah, yeah. I and just then, started new God of War like a couple of days ago, and like it's it, it's really good. I mean, it's fr- it's almost frustrating because I know the game well, so it's frustrating. But fr- if I was starting new, I'd very much appreciate everything mm-hmm. that it like tells mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah, so exciting times ahead, and again, this kind of ties back to conversations we've had multiple times on the show. But like things that things that bring benefit to accessibility in the world for people who need those things to to have quality of life oftentimes better for everyone trickle down into ways that affect everybody else and and it just makes life fucking cooler accessible design is good design period mm-hmm. yeah uh so that's it for this week folks thanks for tuning in hope you enjoyed it brian's got to get off the therapy uh we don't want this boy to break so we got to make sure he gets out on time and and gets all of his emotions out. Uh, if you want to support the show, uh, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We just got a recent review. Um, uh, it was it was a scathing review. Love to see it. Love to hear it. Apparently, we are smug as fuck. Um, so if you and think annoying. we're smug, um, let us know. Now, and also, let us know. Like, get, get specific. Who? Yeah. Who's, Who's the smug one? Um, and if you want to, if you want to support further, uh, join us on Discord. Lots of fun conversations and questions being proposed there. Um, our, our lovely Annika, the harmonica, uh, production assistant is on there. Just, just light and sparks. I love to see it. Love to see all the engagement. So, uh, come on over to the discord. You can find the link in the show notes of this episode. I love chatting on discord. And if you are thinking, yeah, they are smug and you'd like to experience that smugness firsthand with us <laughs> live. Uh, go over to our website, sickboypodcast.com, and you can fill out the guest form if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Smugness and all right there for you. Um, thanks, as always, to the folks who help make this show possible. Annika the Harmonica, our production assistant. Uh, you're amazing. Jeff Lonis, Richard Coyne, Donovan Morgan. Um, we love you guys. 
That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.